Welcome to Sex Ed Shouldn't Suck. I'm Jen. And I'm Kaylee. This week, we're going to be talking about relationship education, specifically learning about relationships in schools instead of, you know, just in media and through your friends. Yeah. Adding some structure in here. And just like going in raw, doing them <laughs> yourself without right. any guidance. <laughs> yeah, so... started talking about relationships relationships ships where there are relations the best ships are relationships <laughs> isn't that just like a cruise ship no so was that that bad of a joke to deserve that long of silence jen <laughs> oh yeah no gay stuff i got it i got it <laughs> Okay, stuff. I got it. Anyways, <clears throat> so <laughs> tell me, when you were growing up, how did you first learn about relationships, having them, experiencing them, starting them, any of it? I don't think I ever learned specifically about relationships. Like, I learned, everyone learns about relationships through watching other people have them, right? Like, my parents' <laughs> relationships. Yeah. Uh, my familial relationships. Mm -hmm. I do remember my parents <laughs> sitting us down once, my sister and I, and like asking us about dating, like what it meant to be dating. And we got like very... Interesting. We were... Yeah. I, I kind of like just had this memory come back to me. <laughs> and we, we were very like clammy about it. We didn't really talk to our parents a lot about stuff like that because they were not very open about it. And like, we knew the mm -hmm. expectation was like, don't date, don't have sex. So when they were like, what, what, like, what does it mean for you guys to date? We were like, Oh, like, isn't it obvious? But <laughs> so were they sitting you down and saying, so we hear you kids talk about going out. What does it mean to be going out? I, it wasn't like that they didn't, it wasn't like that they didn't know. I think they were trying to get us to tell them like what our thoughts were on it, but it mm -hmm. wasn't, it was kind of just like it, it happened at like the dinner table. I think someone mentioned like, oh, they're dating. And my dad was like, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Not like he didn't know what it meant, but just like, right. he wanted to know what we thought it meant, right? What our understanding of dating was. It is kind of weird. Yeah. Especially for younger kids, because you'll hear elementary school kids be like, this is my boyfriend. This is my girlfriend. Yeah. What does that mean when you're six? <laughs> right. And what does that mean when you're 13? I know. I know. And people are like, oh, it's so cute. It's like, yeah. no, it's really not. <laughs> I don't know. Some of it is probably play. Just Oh, for sure. Like playing at the relationships that they see. Yeah. But yeah. But then it's not, I guess it's not really play anymore once you get into your teens. At that point, yeah. you've probably had older siblings that you've seen be going out or you've seen it mm -hmm. on TV or in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> I distinctly remember my mom in this conversation kind of encouraging us or like saying that dating meant like dating around or mm. or dating multiple people and that you didn't have to be like committed to one person while you were figuring out as, as a teenager. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> I remember being like very offended by that. I was, I was probably like 14 or 15 and I hadn't, obviously I had not 
given a thought about like non-monogamy or anything. And so like in my mind, even when you were dating as a teenager, like you were monogamous, you weren't, you weren't dating anyone else or talking to anyone else or seeing anyone else. <laughs> I think I've, I've heard that. I've heard grandmas give that advice of you should go out yeah. with a different boy every Friday night before you choose to go steady. That's my grandma voice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like that's, I, I think that that was more common yeah, with the, which is kind of interesting to me because their relationships are so traditional, right? That but they, they would, like, that's the difference, though. They weren't necessarily. I, I, at least my impression is that they weren't having sex on these dates. They, they were, were going having out. sex more often than kids now are having sex for sure. Really? Yes. Like the 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 amount of teenagers having sex these days is like way low than it has been in previous decades. Is it because of COVID? I think the pandemic is part of it, but I I think like a lot of teenagers lives are online a lot more as well and mm. there's a lot there's a lot of statistics that show that like teenagers are waiting longer to have sex definitely not as many of them having sex at all I, I I also wonder if the socialization around sex or the sex education is even though it's not great it's certainly better than it was in the in the 50s yeah. right yeah and science has shown that comprehensive sex ed actually does lead to people waiting longer exactly. to have sex exactly so <laughs> who knew <laughs> there you have it folks but I, I think that's i think that's good advice figure out what you like about dating and about different people and and figure out what you want before you get into more serious relationships except that i was missing that context right my parents weren't teaching me how to set boundaries or how to communicate so yeah. that i could be dating around mm -hmm. so I'll, that conversation felt very judgmental, actually. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever had a sit-down conversation about this kind of thing. I had my first boyfriend when I was 14, and it was just for a few months. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> it was for a few months, and then I would have boyfriends, and we would be together for a week yeah <laughs> and we would just make out all over the school <laughs> and then they would dump me oh that's <laughs> and uh and then I started having really long-term boyfriends but yeah I, I don't think we ever sat down and really talked about it they always tried to encourage me not to date they were like you should just focus on your friends in school you have your whole life to date and I was like no yeah <laughs> I'm obsessed with boys yeah, so, it, it feels like this forbidden thing, right? Like our parents created this forbidden fruit that we had to go after rather than just being like, yeah, you know, date if you feel like it and don't if you don't. Well, and it, yeah, and it, it was really, to me, it seemed like this really desirable thing. Yeah. Particularly because of so much of the media that was aimed oh, yeah. at young girls our age. Yes. I'm thinking Lizzie McGuire. Mm-hmm was a big one i used to watch oh what were some i don't know the one that always comes to mind is the notebook it was like that oh, was like yes. the quintessential chick flick yes. that came out and it was about or twilight oh my god mm -hmm. all of these are about undying unflinching in the face of death love for the one right and they're like one true love and they were all meant to be together. I'm going to fling myself off of a cliff if he doesn't love me. Exactly. I remember Secret Life of the American Teenager and those <laughs> literal children were like, you know, it started off with like one teenage pregnancy and then they were all getting married and like every, <laughs> every plot line was about their relationships. Mm -hmm. It was so odd. 
first of all, it was like way more mature than most <laughs> teenagers are, but it's like, even adult relationships are not like this. Like, what are, what are you doing? And then like my <laughs> sister was also obsessed with the bachelor and bachelorette franchises where like, <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. I still watch the bachelorette even now. <laughs> Trust the process, Jen. Yeah. The whole thing is about like, dating 30 people until you find like your one true match and love like you said it's like drilled into women especially or young girls especially Mm -hmm. that like your romantic relationships are are your value and that's like the only thing you should be pursuing or the most important thing you'll ever pursue right now the phrase in a lot of the bachelorette things is like my person finding my person there are so many people out there okay a lot of them are for you that's that's and a lot of them aren't, but like, why put so much pressure on like finding the one person for you? <laughs> what what really sticks out to me with that is that it takes an individual and it completely erases their identity in favor of viewing them as a couple. Yeah. Twilight, for instance, I know I said it earlier, but it, it also just, it puts this other person you're dating up on this pedestal. Like they're this perfectly emotionally available, sexy, Mm. protective, jealous, but that's kind of hot. Right. You know, persistent, romantic. It really gives these weird, unrealistic expectations of what a relationship is. And I know when I was a teenager, like I was horny for that kind of boyfriend. (laughs) I wanted that so bad. There's also this weird (laughs) trope of like, the girl is always this previously nerdy or like doesn't know how beautiful she is. And like, (laughs) she is so special and it's designed so that every like normal girl will be like, Oh, I should be looking for a relationship like this. It's where my value lies. And like Mm -hmm. some perfect boy out there will think that I am the perfect person. Yeah. And we'll just be perfect together. (laughs) And it takes this girl who's, you know, maybe nerdy and like living your life and seems cool. And it uproots all these other things that she cares about and her whole life gets hyper-focused on this person, like the notebook, for example, Mm -hmm. they broke up and years have passed and she's engaged and living her life. And then she realizes that, her ex-lover is still there and he bought the house they fucked in for the first time and is rebuilding it because he's <laughs> obsessive and crazy, but that's hot. Yeah. So she leaves her fiance for him. I know. I, yeah. My sister and I were having this conversation a while ago. Like Lon, the guy that she leaves is uh-huh. like actually the best guy. <laughs> She's just like, I'm going to go hang out with my ex-lover and figure that out. And he's like, yeah, cool, dude. Like, whatever you need to do, I totally trust you. (laughs) And then she just, like, straight up leaves him. Like, justice for Lon, honestly. Justice for Lon. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like media was very influential for both of us. Influential, for sure. Did you get any kind of relationship education in school? So, in my health class where we learned sex ed, we learned about some relationship stuff. We learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's represented by this pyramid. And so if you think of the bottom base of the pyramid, that's kind of your base needs being met, like food, Uh shelter, survival stuff. And then Uh as you move up the pyramid, more and more needs can be added on. So you have, you know, safety and familial relationships, and then you have other friendships and hobbies and things that bring fulfillment. And then at the very top, you have self-actualization, which is like such a weird 
What is weird that? word? I am not 100% sure beyond like sort of having like reaching nirvana kind of <laughs> having all your needs perfectly met and then you can be this idealized person. So I think that you move up and down the pyramid, you know, for example, if you're, if you're in the middle of work or something and you're starving, you're back at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs until you get fed. Otherwise being hangry. Right. You can't often think of anything else. You can't do any of the funner things until you've got these base needs met. So we learned about meeting needs in that sense. Wait, so is the idea that your needs change constantly or over time or both? (laughs) Yeah, definitely both. And that there are sort of basic needs that everyone needs met before they can have other needs met or even meet other people's needs. So it's a sort of a framework of understanding yourself better Mm. and... And also probably interfacing with others. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You're like, oh, this person's hungry. They're not going to want to be my friend. (laughs) Have a Snickers, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And then we also learned about abusive relationships specifically, I remember, and the cycle of abuse. So it starts out that you're in this nice relationship and then things sort of escalate and there's tension and maybe there's yelling or verbal abuse. And then it sort of escalates on perhaps to physical abuse. And then that person often feels so bad that you go back to having a nice, perfect, loving relationship and they give you gifts and they shower you with love until you do something wrong. And then they're back with the tension and cycles and cycles. And so we were taught to kind of look out for that pattern and Mm -hmm. in our own relationships and in our friends' relationships, which I remember being very helpful. It didn't help me when I later got into my own sort of abusive relationships, but it was better to know it than to not know it, right? (laughs) Yeah. I think that seems really helpful because I was in an emotionally abusive relationship like that as well. And it's so easy, especially when you're viewing your partner as as God or as this like God sent, like God's gift to me, Mm -hmm. uh, which I did, that it was really easy to overlook the abuse when we were in the cycles of them being super sweet and and adoring. And and if you don't know that that's part of the cycle, you could get really swept away with that. Exactly. Even if you do know it's part of the cycle, right? Like you start to doubt your own reality a lot. Like, well, he gave me these gifts or he told me he loved me or he did that thing the one time we were in the the good cycle, the good part of the cycle. And so not everything is bad. And so I think I'm glad that I had that basis of knowledge. Yeah. I wish I had learned the good parts of being in a relationship, you know, like how to be in a successful relationship and not just how to look out for an unsuccessful bad relationship. (laughs) Right. That sounds a lot like sex ed. They're like, here's a picture of the worst possible iteration (laughs) of an STI. (laughs) And if you have sex, you will get this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know that we had some level of, of, well, we didn't have anything about abusive relationships or a hierarchy of needs. I remember mm-hmm. in elementary school doing a conflict resolution unit, <laughs> which oh. was basically like using I statements instead of you statements and things like that. So it wasn't really based on romantic relationships. It was more for any type of relationship, Mm. which it was very useful, although I don't know that I really internalized it because I might have been a little bit too young. So it sounds like we both learned most of what we learned about relationships Mm -hmm. 
from the media a little bit in school, but either that was too early or it was very focused on the negative parts of relationships Mm. and not on positive teachings. So we should discuss what some of the consequences of this are. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So tell me. (laughs) We should do that. (laughs) Yeah. I think that we kind of hit on our own experiences as young girls and what young girls are taught specifically in the media and, and just kind of reinforced in life as well that your relationship, your romantic relationship specifically are the most important things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I feel like it was the majority of what my friends and I would talk about, at least for a part of my life. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, oh, who do you like? Who are you going to ask the dance? Mm-hmm. Who's dating who? Yeah. <laughs> Hyper focus. And some, and some of that is important. Like, you know, we're trying out relationships so yeah. that we can have successful ones later. Like that's part of that is normal for sure. Yeah. But it's also like, we were not expected to care about anything else as much as we cared about the opposite sex. Right. Which is also not something that is true for young boys. Like that is not an expectation that is put on them. For sure. For sure. I think that it even goes a step further. I think young boys are taught to not connect emotionally with Mm -hmm. other people that if they have close relationships with their male friends, it's gay. That if they have close relationships with women, it's gay or they're also a woman. And so therefore they're sort of, they're taught to reject everything in a relationship that isn't sex. Right. So they, yeah, you know, we've had experiences in our teenage years and our through our twenties of men and boys just kind of going after sex and nothing else and not treating us well, not treating us like human beings. And that's Mm -hmm. really sad because I think they also have to deny a part of their own humanity as well. Like every person needs good, successful, supportive, platonic friendships with people. And I think young boys are not taught how to do that really either. No, no, not at all. And a lot of them are taught if they do have feelings to stuff it down, Mm -hmm. which never works. (laughs) Yep. You do eventually burst. Do you speak from experience, Kaylee? Uh, I've seen it. I've I've done it. I've seen it. I've done it. (laughs) I've seen it. I've done it. Yeah. And I will say that at least girls are allowed or perhaps expected to have relationships with other girls, close Mm -hmm. friendships. Yeah. But it's also interesting because especially when we were younger, it seems like so much of the media was very focused on a romantic relationship being the most important thing for girls and you know girl like friends weren't necessarily the focus (laughs) of a lot of that stuff Mm -hmm. or it would be focused on like the drama between them or something whereas the relationship with somebody was just life or death and (laughs) I think that that's there are a lot of consequences of that particularly Mm -hmm. when you do start to think about when sex is involved in a relationship. Mm. So I know for me, this became kind of a perfect storm because I, on the one hand was obsessed with the idea of having a relationship. It was the thing I wanted most. I'd always crushed really hard on mostly boys, some Mm -hmm. girls, but mostly boys growing up. And I was 
really into a lot of that media that told me that having a boyfriend and getting married and having a husband was the most critical thing I could do in my entire life. Mm. So I was very focused on that. And then on the other hand, I was taught only abstinence-based sex education and given the idea that I should only be in a sexual situation with my husband in the future Mm -hmm. where I would never need to say no. So my point is that I never really spent time considering what my own personal boundaries were Mm -hmm. and I never learned how to communicate about them. So all of a sudden I had my first boyfriend, I was Mm -hmm. 14 and I had my own set of assumptions about what that even meant yeah, because of what I'd seen in movies or what I'd seen my friends do, but I had never thought about what I actually wanted. I'd never thought about the best way for the two of us to communicate and be in a relationship together. And suddenly I, my boundaries, my physical boundaries were being tested in ways that I hadn't even, I didn't even know could happen. Yeah, And it created this, terrible imbalance between us where I felt like I just had to go along with whatever he wanted because he was my boyfriend. And if I didn't agree with what he wanted, he would be disappointed in me. And then I would lose the most important thing I had in my life, which was my relationship. Yeah, for sure. And that obviously leads to dubious consent situations. And exactly you know, lack of communication or even understanding that you can communicate or how to communicate about really important things like sex and what you want and what you don't want. And even just less important things like communication styles or like what you expect out of non-sexual situations. Like I Mm -hmm. did not know how to communicate about those either. And that's the day-to-day life stuff that you also have to get right (laughs) too. So Yeah, I I think I was just woefully unprepared to have Mm -hmm. relationships, even that weren't sexual, but especially that were sexual. It's weird because we're not really taught to communicate about our relationships, any level of that, whether it's romantic, sexual, friendship, any of that. When you become friends with someone, how do you determine how often you text or hang out? You, It's very yeah. rare that people will sit down and be like, hi. Well, or they'll just be like, hi, I suck at texting. <laughs> That's yeah. Sorry. The extent of it. Yeah. 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 But even, but even that is communication, right? Like saying, yeah. I do not have the bandwidth to text every day. I can text you every mm-hmm. few days or I'm quote unquote bad at texting, which again, there's kind of assumptions on what that means, but at least they're right. saying I can't text you back every day and I can't text you back within a few minutes. I'll get back to you eventually, you know? <laughs> so I think that that all that would have been helpful to learn in a sex education atmosphere, because I think there's definitely room in a health class to talk about sex education and also talk about just interpersonal skills in general and how to have relationships and what consent and boundaries and all of that looks like. I think that that is happening better these days. Like I've seen examples of teachers allowing elementary school students to decide how they want to be touched or if they want to be touched. Like if they want a handshake when they come into school or a hug or a high five or, or wave, you know, that's, that's an example of how to set, boundaries and empower people in a non-sexual context in a relationship context Mm -hmm. that's age appropriate and able to start young I never I never got any of that (laughs) no 
No, it'd be like, oh, Aunt Sarah's here. You gotta hug her and get her get a kiss on the cheek. That's just how it is. Wonderful. <laughs> I don't know where that accent came from, and I also don't have an Aunt Sarah, but <laughs> neither do I. You know, just the old Aunt Sarah. I think I think you are you are right. And I've seen from the research that I've done on a sex education curriculum that lessons about consent are now required in some Mm. states definitely not all of them Mm. probably not the majority of them but it's a step in the right direction and it's it's a you know when we were young i remember if 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 consent was talked about it was kind of with the added flair of like oh that's gonna ruin the mood Mm. (laughs) Or like in very extreme situations, like not getting raped or sexually assaulted, right? But there's yeah. consent is a lot more than that. <laughs> right. And there was also this weird idea that, uh, and I know I experienced this with boyfriends, if if people learned that I had gone a certain, like I'd gone this far with an ex, mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, Kaylee gave a hand job. She's a hand job girl now. She'll give hand jobs to all the future boyfriends. <laughs> She's a hand job girl. Nice JG, if you will. <laughs> that is still what I go by. HJG. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That there was this sort of invisible line you were crossing that you couldn't cross back over, go backwards, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Always pushing you forward. Yeah, I definitely remember that pressure as yeah, well, that, too. That kind of goes in line with the, like, what's what role is expected of you in a relationship, too. Yeah. So it's it's almost this idea that you, you, you become in a relationship and the way you do it with one person is how you're going to do it with everyone going forward. It's not an individuated thing. Right. Per yeah. person. Or that it's, it's a characteristic of you and not... Mm. Yeah, And not how the relationship develops because every relationship is different and requires different things and you'll have different boundaries with different people. And so you need to do that on a per relationship level and not on a individual. I'm Kaylee and I gave a handjob to someone. So now I give handjobs, right? Maybe you're comfortable (laughs) giving a handjob to one person and not another person. Or maybe you didn't. You're like, this sucks. I'm not doing this again. You know, they they do suck. So... Um, (laughs) I disagree. <laughs> really? I mean, it depends on the person. Like we were just saying, it depends on the person. Yeah. It depends on your relationship. Exactly. And it's funny because with friendships, I think this comes a little bit more naturally to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For some reason, like you you can understand mm-hmm. having different friendships with people and, and negotiating those boundaries and communicating about your friendship but yeah well I think that there's a lot less pressure on friendships like going back to Mm -hmm. what we were taught about romantic relationships and how they're the end all be all they're the most important thing and so if this fails then you're a failure and you should (laughs) go out of your way to do everything you can to keep this relationship you know friendships don't have that pressure and so there's a lot more leeway to talk about some things that work and don't work for you. Yeah. There's more understanding around that. You're also sort of expected to have multiple friendships. And so you, you know, you can't do everything for every friend, right? Yeah. But you're, you're expected, quote unquote, to, to be monogamous and only have one romantic relationship. And so a lot of pressure goes into that and you wind up relying on your significant other for a lot of things and told you can't rely on your friends for those things. So I think, I do think boundaries are easier to set 
with your friends and maybe even your family as well than they are for mm-hmm. your romantic partners sometimes. That's so true. I've talked about this with my therapist a lot, so that's <laughs> the reason I know. <laughs> so if we were to assume that relationship education became a part of health class or whatever class you have sex education in, what, what do you think that would look like in a way that would help set people up for having healthy relationships? I know for me, I would want to learn communication and boundary techniques probably for friendships first or for romantic and non-romantic relationships. Because for me, beyond the fact that a lot of romantic relationships have a sexual component, I don't think there's a lot of, I don't think there's something magically different about romantic relationships than with friendships in terms of how you communicate and how you set boundaries. The boundaries might look different. Mm -hmm. They might be sexual in nature, for example, but I think that a lot of those techniques can be applied a lot of the techniques that you might use in your familial and friendships can be applied to your romantic relationships. And so mm-hmm. starting with a good base there, starting with setting boundaries that are not, you know, not so urgent, like I want to do this sex thing, but not this sex thing. And I'm more around like, you know, this is how I communicate and this is how I'm comfortable texting. And this is what I'm comfortable, where I'm comfortable hanging out is a lot easier to do first than yeah. saying like, I'll give a hand job but I'm not going to give a blowjob or, you know, whatever specific sexual relationships entail. Right. I I think that focusing a lot of energy on helping people understand that they need to identify their own personal needs and wants before entering into a relationship of any kind, honestly, is pretty important and something that we don't really spend a lot of time telling people to think about for sure and yeah I mean communication practice understanding of consent and Mm -hmm. how boundaries and consent can change one way or another and that's perfectly natural learning to like respect yourself and your own wants and needs and knowing that that's more important than any relationship that you're in yeah, your relationship uh, with your yourself. Your relationship with yourself. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> For sure. And I know a lot of those exercises on conflict resolution and stuff tend to be cheesy. But, the, I mean, because usually they, they entail these conversations about different things. And it's not usually how people talk. So I don't know a better way to do that. But definitely being able to practice stuff like that like you said before you're in the real world is really useful (laughs) because I I don't know how I would have known what I like and what I don't like unless I did it first. But at the same time, I learned a lot of things I didn't like through traumatic experiences of doing them. (laughs) So I don't know, which is going to happen sometimes, but at the very least learning that you have the power to think about those things and make decisions on them. Mm-hmm. I think alone is just useful. And yeah, you're right. You're so right. I mean, everybody's human. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to ignore our own boundaries sometimes and fuck up. But I think it's a process of learning. And if you can identify, oh, hey, I I didn't enforce my boundary when I should have, or I didn't communicate what I needed when I mm-hmm. should have, being able to identify that even after you mess up is is important because I know for me, I didn't learn I didn't learn that I was ignoring my own boundaries until pff, like two years ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it feels like a lot of this work is related to unlearning a lot of shitty stuff that we learned and then relearning it the right way. So if we could cut out the middleman there and just teach people the right way from the start, maybe there'd be some better stuff. Yeah, and I think to go back to the very first thing we said, a great way to educate like future generations is at home. So Mm -hmm. if you have children or if you're... Uh, related to a child <laughs> or just, you know, if, if you, if you interface with anybody younger than you, it, it's a great way to set an example by setting your own boundaries, communicating with them, asking them questions about what works for them. I I think doing that by example or, you know, displaying your own relationships for the younger people and showing, because I know for me, like at home, I never really saw my parents fight or disagree about things. They would do that behind closed doors. And I think it could have been really valuable for me to see how they would talk through things. So a minded fight. And it taught me how to not, not talk through things. <laughs> okay. So only, only display your conflict resolution. If you're good at it. <laughs> it's healthy. <laughs> I mean, look, like Kaylee said, no one is perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. We all <laughs> learn somewhere along the way, you know, but yeah, I think I think that was still helpful for me, right? It's helpful mm-hmm. for me to go, wow, I do not want that. <laughs> <laughs> right. I do want to acknowledge that relationships are really hard and require ongoing work, every single one of them. So they do require education on how to handle them. You know, we can't yeah. expect just to throw people into them and say, figure it out, like we do a lot with sex. Right. Every relationship requires extensive work and understanding and wanting by people on both sides or all sides to be in it mm-hmm. and work with each yeah. other and work with yourself. So yeah, relationships are hard. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> and they are important. I mean, relationships yeah. are a significant part of our lives mm-hmm. in whatever capacity they take up. And I think, yeah, not not to say that relationships aren't very important. I think it's just the idea that you should not be sacrificing your own personal dignity or individuality mm-hmm. for a relationship. So, yeah. Agreed. Well, there we have it. Relationship education, at least a basic level, should exist in school, especially coupled with sex ed. Mm-hmm. And we can all try to be good shining examples for the little babies in our life. <laughs> Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode about relationship education. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts about relationship ed, rel ed, that's what we could call it in school, please uh, reach. No. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Relation ed. Relation ed. Relation. No. Please. Okay, well, if you have any ideas for how to shorten that name in particular, we really need help with that. Please, you can find us uh, at our email, which is hello at sexedshouldn'tsuck.com, or you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at sexedshouldn'tsuck. We also have a Patreon because uh, money will help us not sound this um, bad, (laughs) stupid. Actually, no, I don't know. We'll probably still sound stupid. But we will be able to make more and better episodes with like super cool guests. And yeah. uh, we would really appreciate you forever if you felt like you wanted to donate. No pressure. Yeah. Um, and you, it's not like you don't get anything back. 
you can yeah, get all dude. kinds of cool stuff like stickers that you could put on your water bottle so that people know how cool you are for sure um, shout outs in this episode or in subsequent episodes yeah i could be like hey this is a shout out to jen <laughs> if only i subscribe to our patreon <laughs> Why don't you? That's kind of fucked up. Um, well, technically, we're recording this when it hasn't launched yet, so that makes <laughs> oh, me slack. It's a little too meta. <laughs> You're gonna blow up the internet. Also, also, <laughs> also, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's got cool stuff in it too. It's also free, unlike the Patreon. Mm-hmm. So you can stay up to date with what we're doing, what's coming out on the podcast, and what's going on in the world with Sex Ed. Yeah, and. I, I think we should also mention that Patreon is not the only place to get cool things about the podcast. You can also check out our um, merch yes. on com. We have all kinds of cool stuff and we are constantly adding new designs to it. You want a t-shirt? Um, you want a hat? You want a sticker? Yeah. You can Go. have those things. And finally, thank you to Kent for mastering our sound. Um, if it didn't sound, sound like master. I was just putting chapstick on, then you will know that Kent did his job. <laughs> it's because Kent was amazing. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> next week, we're talking to Britta, the founder of Volvani, which is all about periods. So periods. that's what we're talking about. And guess what? I am actually going to be on my period while it's being recorded. So it is a very immersive experience, at least for me. It yeah, was. it's very real. <laughs> Anyways, enjoy and thank you. I don't know why I said enjoy. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We love you. Bye. I never, I mean, I never even knew that there was hand jobs and I almost said boob jobs, but I guess (laughs) those are real, but not titty touching. in the same way. Why, they, why isn't that called that? A boob job? I, like that's a, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that only things related to penises are called jobs because it's work. 